Hello everyone, my name is Reese Karlinski and this is Young History, episode 104 on Israel and Palestine. The capital of Israel is Jerusalem, semi-recognized, and Ramallah is the capital of Palestine, which is also semi-debated. You are going to hear me say things like debated, semi-recognized, all sorts of things like that throughout this entire episode. And that is for a very good reason, because Israel and Palestine are two separate nations. They are not affiliated when it comes to sharing a government or anything like that, but they share the same land and they both claim the entire territory that each of them share. This is an extremely delicate and important history to the world. We're going to do the usual intro and I'm going to say some more about it, but forewarning, this is going to be a long one. So buckle up. So the name Israel comes from the ancient tribes that inhabited this region of the Levant. The first 12 Hebrew tribes formed into the first Jewish state in the region named Israel spelled I-S-R-E-A-L, literally Israel. These 12 tribes all shared the same father, a man named Israel, who was the grandson of Abraham, who was the founder of the three Abrahamic religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. The name Palestine was created later on in history by the Roman Empire. It is derived from the name Philistines, which were a people group living in the Transjordan region before the Romans deported the Hebrews out of Israel. And then these Philistines moved into where Israel is today once the Hebrews were removed. And they have called this land home for a very, very long time, the same way the Hebrews have. And the Philistines are believed to be descendants of the group called the Sea Peoples, who were a seafaring group that traveled around the Mediterranean in ancient times, we're talking 2000 BC, and didn't have a certain point of home. They kind of just came in and out of different regions, but it is believed that the Sea People were the predecessors to the Philistines, who were the predecessors to the Palestinians. And then some fun facts before we get into a whole lot of not fun history. (laughs) The oldest evidence of beer making is in Israel with the Natufian culture using beer making tools. Israel is the only Jewish-ran country in the entire world, and the city of Jerusalem holds the holiest site in all of Judaism, the Temple Mount, which is where the Temple of Jerusalem was throughout history, and the city also holds the third holiest site in Islam after Mecca and Medina. This is also the Temple Mount, which currently has the Dome of the Rock here, which is a famous Islamic shrine. And a very funny quote I heard about Israel and its placement in the world is one of the former prime ministers named Golda Meir said, let me tell you something we Israelis have against Moses. He took us 40 years through the desert to bring us to the one spot in the Middle East that has no oil. So just a little cheeky thing there. Like I said, give you some fun facts before we get into some not so fun history. Speaking of, we have to get into something very serious now. The truth about this episode is that it will cover the most important history in the world. That is not to preach to anyone or say anything religious, but the truth is, Israel and Palestine hold some of the most holy sites in the entire world. These sites, as well as the nations themselves, have seen historical events occur that affect billions of people throughout the world. And that is not just today, but throughout history. This region is the origin of Christianity. It is where Christ lived and died. It is so many important things. And no matter what you believe about these people, you cannot deny the fact that for I apologize. Since the turn from BCE to CE, the history of the world has revolved around Christianity, Judaism, and Islam in some ways. Of course, there's regions of the world that don't practice those and are heavily unaffected, but 
Almost every single war fought in the history of Europe has to do with Christianity. The Protestant Reformation caused endless amounts of wars. Judaism is the reason that there was some of the worst atrocities in human history, such as the Holocaust. There have been deportations of Huguenots from France that were Jewish, that were Protestant. There are so many different things that this region births for the world. So no matter what you believe, no matter what you care about, God, Allah, Jesus, your belief in or not believe in any of them, you cannot deny that this region births the lens that the rest of the world has looked through throughout history. So this is a very monumental episode for me. This is by far the longest one I'm going to do thus far, and it's very it's just important and it feels right. And I'm going to try my absolute best to say things very objectively. I do, of course, have my opinions on the different situations, but I will stick to every rule that I've always stuck to when making these episodes, which is any human rights violations, acts of genocide, anything like that. I will try my absolute best to cover and no matter who committed it or who it was against wrong is wrong. So I will acknowledge those and they're very plentiful on both sides of these two regions. And it's a very long history. I'm going to miss things. I tried my absolute best to get as much in here as I could, but just want to say to you guys now, I hope you enjoy, but just take everything I say with a grain of salt because this is not an easy episode to do. Even though it is extremely interesting to me and I loved every second of it, this is huge. I very much hope you guys enjoy. I very much hope you don't tear my head off for any mistakes I make. And whatever happens, know that I tried my best. With that, I want to say thank you so much for being here. And one more time, my name is Reese Karlinski, this is Young History, and this is Israel and Palestine. I hope you guys enjoy. Our origins begin with the Natufians. Some 14,000 years ago, they were one of the earliest people groups to form into true civilization in the entire world. They built one of the world's oldest cities named Jericho, which still has ancient ruins and artifacts standing there today, and it is truly a marvel of creation. The Canaanites were the most influential of the subsequent people groups after the Natufians. Their land that is now Israel and Palestine was called Canaan for the Canaanites. And they had great interaction with all of the regional powers. Most heavily, they interacted with Egypt. Amosi I was a king of Egypt from 1549 to 1524 BC. And he led the takeover of Canaan during his rule. Egyptian rule would last here for a very long time. And that would change when the early Hebrew tribes moved into the land after escaping the slavery they were in under the Egyptian pharaohs. These Hebrews pushed out the Canaanites with both diplomacy and war, and they began to create their first land that they called home. These first 12 Hebrew tribes all lived under one leader named a judge from the 1300s to the 1100s BC, and these tribes saw many different powers take over the land, such as the Armenians, the Edomites, and many more. The different powers controlled this region of the Levant from around 1100 BC to the 6th century BC. And it was also during this time that Hebrew became prominent as a written and spoken language. And before we get into more history, we do need to acknowledge the most important part of the early Hebrews, which is the Bible. The Bible was the basis of belief for all Hebrews. It is a legendary text that was developed over a millennia and stood out from everything else that the other religions were doing. The giant sculptures, statues, and other things were the marvels of the world. But it is in the words of the Bible that billions of people have found true inspiration to this day. One of the most important parts of the Bible 
when it comes to history is the first five books known to the Jews as the Torah. Torah tells the story of Abraham, who according to the Bible was told directly by God to move his people from the city of Ur in modern Iraq to Canaan. God also, quote unquote, told him that his descendants would have this land as theirs forever. This same claim was told to Abraham's son, Isaac, who told it to his son, Jacob. Jacob was renamed Israel, and he would have 12 children. These would be the 12 children to make up the first head of the 12 Hebrew tribes that inhabit the Levant. In 1020 BC, the kingdom of Israel would be established. It would become official when the last judge named Samuel would appoint Saul as the first king. King Saul ruled until, king Saul ruled until 1012 BC. During his rule, there were many clashes with the southern non-Hebrew people known as the Philistines. And this is when we see the introduction of David, who was a prominent warrior fighting for Israelis against the Philistines. He had a legendary battle against Goliath, who was a massive warrior of the Philistines. Goliath stood at over six foot eight, while the rest of the world at the time averaged being below six feet. David himself was likely between 5'7 and 5'9, and despite the fact that Goliath could have crushed him with his might, David used his wit and his mighty sling to defeat him. Despite this great victory, David ended up having to flee Israel because he lost favor with King Saul. He ended up taking refuge with the Philistines. King Saul died in a battle against the Philistines in 1012, where, after this, he was defeated. David ended up taking refuge with the Philistines once he fled. King Saul eventually died in a battle against the Philistines in 1012, where after he was defeated, he felt he was no longer favored by God and felt that it was wrong for him to continue to lead his people. So he begged his sword bearer to take his life. Once his sword bearer rejected him, King Saul fell upon his own sword, taking his own life. Then David returned. This time he came with an army of international warriors from across the Middle East. He marched into Israel and took over the previously independent Jerusalem before he defeated the son of King Saul to take power in the kingdom. David's rule would last 40 years and would be a legend for all Israelis and those around the world. The son of David inherited the throne in 970. This was King Solomon. His rule lasted until 931 BC. Under King Solomon, Israel prospered. They amassed a great wealth and had peace in the region after decades of war. He also constructed the extremely iconic Temple of Solomon, which for ages had the Ark of the Covenant, which contained the Ten Commandments. Solomon's death brought instability to the realm. His son, King Rehoboam, now led Israel. He famously kept taxes very high and caused a lot of anger within his Hebrew citizens. The anger grew, and ten of the northern Hebrew tribes actually revolted against the kingdom of Israel and broke away from it. They formed their own unity with their capital at Samaria, and Jeroboam would rise as the king of Israel to establish stability and represent the interests of these ten tribes that broke away. This is also when the kingdom of Judah was established, because this was the only region that stayed loyal to the king Rehoboam. The term Jew actually derives from the kingdom of Judah. Egypt had actually thrown its support behind King Jeroboam, so the Egyptians invaded the kingdom of Judah with a force of over 60,000. This turned Judah into a vassal state of Egypt, and this control lasted until roughly 891 BC. And this is when a lot of different powers start to come in and out of the region. The Assyrian Empire started to challenge for control of Israel in the region around the 700s BC. King Jose, the last king of Israel, believed that if he were to be challenged by the Assyrians, he would get support from the Egyptians. He was very wrong. 
After Israel stopped paying tribute to the Assyrians, they were quickly invaded and taken over by the empire with absolutely no help from anyone else. The survivors of this invasion were deported to the far reaches of the empire, and then Assyria turned its eyes towards Judah. But as this was going on, the Babylonian empire was starting to creep back onto the Assyrians because the Assyrians were originally a breakaway state of the Babylonians. So, in 586 BC, the Babylonians marched into the Levant region and reestablished their dominance. The Babylonians defeated King Zedekiah and the Kingdom of Judah to encapsulate the Levant and Jerusalem into the Babylonian Empire, taking Assyrian Empire control away from them in the process. The Babylonians also destroyed the Temple of Jerusalem for the first time. The Babylonians took many Hebrews from this region and made sure to keep them away from their great homeland. Then, in 583 BC, Cyrus the Great led Achaemenid Persia to defeat the Babylonians. He took over control in this region until 330 BC. Of course, it would be his descendants that would rule because he did not live for 200 years. During this rule, many of the Hebrew captives in Babylonia were allowed to live in the Levant region as long as they acted as vassals to the Achaemenids. Cyrus the Great also allowed the Hebrews to rebuild their Temple of Jerusalem because he had a much better relationship with the idea of religious acceptance and tolerance because he had no problem with people believing what they wanted to believe because it helped maintain stability within his realm. And then not long after 330, then in 330 BC, Alexander the Great would lead the Macedonian Empire to defeat the Persians and take over the entire region. After Alexander passed away, the Macedonian Empire was split up and became the Seleucid Empire. It was under the control of the Seleucid Empire that the Maccabean Revolt occurred. The Maccabean Revolt lasted from 167 BC to 160 BC. This occurred under Antiochus IV, who enacted an all-out attack on the Jews. Historians believe he either did this to unite his people under Hellenistic culture, which of course was not Jewish, or because he saw the Jews as potential rebels and wanted to suppress them early. After the Maccabean result, the Hasmonean family created another Jewish state for the first time in nearly 60 years. This was the Hasmonean kingdom. Judas Maccabeus cleansed the Holy Temple of Jerusalem and rededicated it to Israel and naming God as its one true deity. It is this event that the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah was created to celebrate. Specifically, Hanukkah celebrates the temple in Jerusalem being reappropriated for the Jews as the cornerstone of their homeland. The Hasmonean dynasty was in power from 140 till 37 BC, but conflict broke out internally from 67 to 63 BC in the Hasmonean Civil War. And right before this happened, Rome made its presence felt in the region in 69 BC when General Pompey sacked Jerusalem. This began Roman influence in the region. In 37 BC, Judea, which was the new name for Judah, would become a client state of Rome. Herod was the king of the Jews, and after this, Herod was named king of the Jews by the Romans. He wasn't of Hebrew descent, and he came from an area called Idumean, just south of the Levant. He undertook a massive reconstruction slash beautification project for the temple at Jerusalem. And considering the fact that Rome popped in in that early part of 69 BC, them coming in kind of disrupted the whole thing with the Hasmonean Civil War because some people just realized that the fighting wasn't worth it because now they had a greater enemy, and then others just fled the region. Then some others just fled the region because they knew that they didn't stand a chance against Rome. And then bouncing back to the rule of Herod, despite the fact that he reconstructed the temple and this was seen as a huge move, he was still seen in a negative light by the citizens of Judea, mainly due to the fact that he wasn't from the area and that he was seen as an industry plant by the Romans. 
After his death, the kingdom of Judea was split up between his family members. But after a few generations, the Romans had seen enough. Rome took over Judea and made an official province in 6 CE. And it would be during this era of Roman rule that one of the most significant events in human history occurred. Jesus Christ, or Yeshua, was born just before the turn of the eras. He began preaching the word of God in the most prolific and powerful way it had ever been done. During the rule of Emperor Tiberius, he inspired hundreds around him, and eventually, word of it got back to Rome. He was accused of treason and was crucified until death. After he was buried, reports began to pop up from everyone that in just a few days, he had risen from the dead. His martyrdom inspired all of his followers to willingly die for their faith. Many of the people in Rome that many of the people in this region that witnessed the death of Jesus believed that it was truly a monumental moment and they would continue to preach the word of God in the at the time very Roman pantheon supporting Romans and this led to many of them being crucified. And after many of these people died, the followers of Jesus would begin preaching his teachings as far as they could. It was now the truest belief in the hearts of every person that had seen this event, that the figure named Jesus was the Messiah himself, also known as Christ. Paul the Apostle, also known as Paul of Tarsus, began to write letters to churches across the Mediterranean about the teachings of Jesus and the Word of God. It is in his writings, such as Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, and more, that made up the backbone of Christian faith to this day. This would be the basis of Christianity spreading worldwide. And spread worldwide it did, because as I speak to you today, in 2023, by no small margin, Christianity is the most widely practiced religion on earth. But not everybody supported the teachings of Christ, and of course, this led to a lot of clashes. The first Jewish-Roman war was fought from 66 to 73 CE. In 70 CE, there was a rebellion in Jerusalem that the Romans handled with disgusting aggression. The Temple of Jerusalem was once again destroyed, and every single noble, rebellion leader, and high-ranking Hebrew was either killed deported, or enslaved. Another event would occur not long after the war called the Siege of Masada. This would happen in 73 and 74 CE. It was a continuation of Jewish struggle against the Romans. This event was another defeat for the Jewish, who in this case chose who in this case This event was another defeat for the Jewish, who in this case chose to famously kill themselves off of Masada instead of surrendering themselves to the Romans. In 132 BC, there was another rebellion in Jerusalem, this time under one of the most powerful emperors Rome had seen, Hadrian. Under modern standards, this would be seen as genocide, what the Romans did. Hadrian crushed this rebellion once again. He ordered the deaths of over half a million Jews, deported at least a million, and sold endless amounts into slavery. He then enacted a law that prevented Hebrews from living in their homeland in the Levant and began the early Jewish diaspora. The Romans renamed this region Syria-Palestine. They named it after the Philistines who had been here long before. And it would be from this point in history until very, very recent history that this land is now Palestine and the Palestinians live here. The Palestinians call it home. So up until this point, this has been the land of the Hebrews, Jews, all of that. But from this point until pretty much the 1900s, this is Palestine, the legal name, the true name, and the home of the Palestinians. After Rome fell, Arab dynasties passed control of the land back and forth throughout the 1600s. Philistine, the land of Palestine. The Dome of the Rock was constructed in 688 and completed in 692. 
It was built on top of where King Solomon's temple once stood. And this, of course, is until this day a thing that the Jewish and Muslim communities clash over because of the fact that on top of one of Judaism's sacred spots is now a Islamic sacred site. So very tense between the two over this. And during the rule of the Arab dynasties, a poll tax was enacted. Any non-Muslim had to pay this poll tax in order to vote. And there were also special distinctions slash requirements for non-Muslims. Jews had to wear yellow and Christians had to wear blue. And because of the long-term Arab and Muslim control in the region, the First Crusade began in 1096 and lasted until 1099. It ended when Jerusalem was taken over. The battle for Jerusalem was brutal for both sides, but it was more devastating for the citizens of Jerusalem than anyone else. There were countless deaths and many war travesties committed by both sides, but in the end, the Crusaders were able to establish the Kingdom of Jerusalem in 1099 under King Baldwin I. The Kingdom of Jerusalem lasted from 1099 to 1291, but had some brutal challenges in between. 88 years after the kingdom was established, the Sultan of Egypt named Saladin re-established Muslim control over Jerusalem. This led directly into the Third Crusade, which lasted from 1189 to 1192. The reason this is not the Second Crusade is because the Second Crusade was enacted on another part of Europe before this happened. And the Third Crusade was led by the King of England, Richard the Lionheart. The fighting would end with the Treaty of Jaffa in 1192, and it stated that Jerusalem would remain under Muslim control, but the Christian pilgrims would be able to visit freely and be protected. It also said that the coastal cities of Jaffa and Tyre would remain under Christian control, and a 10-year truce was established between the Crusader states and Saladin's Ayyubid Empire. This provided a period of peace in the region. And the major significance of Jaffa is that it allowed the Crusaders to maintain a foothold in the Holy Land and secure a relatively peaceful coexistence with the Muslims for the following decades. Barazmian dynasty of Central Asia conducted the siege of Jerusalem in 1244, and this destroyed the city once again. Mongols invaded in 1260, and they kind of had a year of destruction, much like they did in Hungary. And despite not being able to maintain great power here, they did return in 1299 to invade again. And these invasions from the Mongols weakened the Abbasid Caliphate heavily. And this created a power vacuum in the region and allowed for the rise of the Mamluk Sultanate. <clears throat> in 1250, the Mamluks, under the leadership of their commander, Ayyubak, overthrew the last Ayyubid Sultan and established their rule in Egypt. The Mamluk Sultanate quickly expanded its influence to encompass much of the Levant, including Palestine and Syria. The Mamluk sultans supported the construction and restoration of important religious and architectural sites, including the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem. Then we see the Ottoman Empire. From 1516 to 1517, the war between the Ottomans and the Mamluks occurred. The Mamluk Sultanate suffered a decisive defeat at the Battle of Marj Tabik against the Ottomans which was led by Selim I. This resulted in the incorporation of the Mamluk territories, including Palestine, into the Ottoman Empire. Thus, the Mamluk period in Palestine came to an end, and Ottoman rule commenced. The Ottomans implemented the Tamar system, where land was divided into Tamars and assigned to military officers in exchange for their services and loyalty to the empire. The officers collected taxes from the land and maintained order individually. However, the system evolved over time, and local elites, including many religious institution leaders, played a significant role in land ownership and taxation. The Ottoman Empire was known for its relatively tolerant approach to religious diversity. In Palestine, as in other parts of the empire, 
Muslims, Christians, and Jews were allowed to practice their respective religions as long as it was done privately. But the stability in Palestine only lasted until the 1600s. In the early 1600s, there were many attempts to rebel against the Ottoman rule from different religious groups. And this would kind of define the entire century. This time, very much lacking stability, is what motivated a late 1700s religious leader named Zahir al-Umar to carve out a state of his own in Palestine. He defended it using the army he raised himself, and he fought alongside his men until his death. The Ottomans invaded this land in 1775 and killed Zahir, thus reestablishing Ottoman control in this land that was declared as free. To wrap up the 1700s, Napoleon Bonaparte invaded the Levant in 1799 during the Siege of Acre. Napoleon was repelled by the fighting forces that were backed by the British. And this creates one of those really early seeds of connection between people within Palestine at this point and Britain. And Zionism gained a lot of popularity in Europe in the 1800s. Zionism is the belief that there should be a Jewish state in Palestine. Theodor Herzl was an Austro-Hungarian journalist and was the father of Zionism across Europe. The first Aliyah from 1881 to 1903 occurred. This was the first major event where hundreds and thousands of Jewish people floated into Palestine for the first time in ages. This saw the revival of the ancient and extinct Hebrew language in the region. Eliezer ben Yehuda was one of the main scribes behind this and saw the goal achieved in the early 1900s. During World War I, there was a great Arab revolt from 1916 to 1918. In this revolt, Palestinian fighters stood up against Ottoman rule and fought alongside the British during the Great War to help push out Ottoman influence. The Mahmahan and Hussein correspondence was an agreement between the rebel Palestine forces and the British to help attain autonomy slash independence after the war. But surprise, surprise, the British were absolutely lying to the people here and had no intention of helping them in the way they were helped. No independence moves were made for the Arab Palestinians and that would be revealed in the Sykes-Pickett Agreement of 1916. This revealed that the British actually intended to partition the land between themselves and France. Because throughout the 1800s, the British had been stomping into this region, taking over different parts, and competing with France for different parts of the Middle East. And up until this point, no European power had taken over Palestine, but now, because of the Balfour Declaration, which was signed in 1917, Britain officially declared its support for a Jewish state in Palestine, and then in 1920 established Mandatory Palestine as a territory of the British Empire. And Mandatory Palestine would last until roughly 1948. During this time, there were many riots undertaken by the Palestinians to protest against the idea of a Jewish state being established. The most prominent were the Nebi Musa riots of 1920 and the Jaffa riots of 1921. These riots saw the indiscriminate killing of Jewish people in Palestine and were extremely violent. So, to defend themselves, the Jews established their own parliamentary group known as Haganah. The 1930s saw thousands upon thousands of Jews migrate into Palestine territory because of the fact that Hitler was rising and anti-Semitism was growing across Europe. Then, from 1936 to 1939, the Arab Revolution in Palestine occurred. The Great Migration of Jews resulted in Palestinians starting a revolution that caused fighting nationwide and caused the deaths of thousands. Another result was the White Paper of 1939, which was a British decree that limited Jewish migration into the land to maintain stability. But this decree only lit a fire under the most adamant Jewish Zionists in Israel and led to indiscriminate killings of Palestinians nationwide. And it would be during World War II that the Holocaust would occur. And since we are talking about Israel in this episode, which is the home of Judaism. 
we do need to talk about the Holocaust, which I will 100% get into way deeper when I do countries like Germany and Poland. But I do have to acknowledge it because nobody was affected in World War II like the Jewish. The Holocaust is the worst genocide in human history. It was the Nazi-led systematic killing of Jews, and it murdered 60% of the Jewish population in Europe. This number is 6 million people, at least. Estimates range between 5.8 million and over 6 million, and that is just killed in concentration camps, directly targeted. That is not counting the number of people that were caught in the crossfire, unreported deaths, people that were not accounted for during the Holocaust. Millions upon millions of human beings that practiced a faith were murdered, not in Roman times, not in the time of the Egyptians or the Caliphates, in the time of JFK and other great things that were happening in the 1900s, murdered. The Holocaust resulted in even more cries for a Jewish state because not only did people not feel safe in Europe anymore, but the desire to be back to their home, the Holy Land, was great. The Holocaust was the worst event in human history, but it did bring this fire back under the followers of Judaism. Despite the fact that the Jews survived this brutal time, things would get very tense between them and the Palestinians. In 1946, there was the King David Hotel bombing. It was done by Jewish Zionists who wanted to rebel against Britain for not creating a Jewish state in Palestine, and it resulted in the death of many innocent Palestinians and other people. And then the UN rolled out its partition plan for Palestine in 1947. The plan decreed that the land of Palestine would be split evenly between the Jewish and the Palestinians. There would be an Arab state and a Jewish state within the borders of Palestine, and the city of Jerusalem would be made as neutral territory for all to pass in and out of so that worship could continuously occur without violence. The Jewish were extremely to hear about this and accepted this offer instantaneously, but the Palestinians did not. They refused it and did not accept this. And this is a thing that is pure history. I will not weigh on it. I am not saying who was right and who was wrong. But this is the first of four other times that the eventual Israelis slash the Jewish would offer the land of Israel-Palestine to be split between the two. Four other times after this. It is the Palestinian government or Palestinian representatives that do reject this. The reason Palestinians reject it is because they truly believe that they should not have to share their holy sacred land. The Israelis and the Jews, any of the sort, obviously feel the opposite. They feel that they have a great claim to this land as well. They were here in early history, just like the Palestinians were. They've had thousands of years of history here. And both sides very heavily claim that this should be theirs. And this is one of the major talking points when debates are held between Israel and Palestine is over the fact that Palestine has rejected many peace agreements, but this is not done without Israel pushing its ideas heavy, and we're going to get into that very, very soon. So this rejection from the Palestinians leads to the civil war in mandatory Palestine. This was fought from 1947 to 1948. It somehow resulted in a Jewish victory and led to a massive Palestinian exodus from the region. Predictions say that as many as 700,000 Palestinians left the region. And it would be not long after the end of this exodus and civil war that the official declaration of Israel independence would occur. It was given on May 14th in 1948 by David Ben-Gurion, the head of the Jewish agency who would eventually become the first prime minister of the newly established Israel. 
Not long after this time, the UN set up a green line or line of armistice, which was meant to be the official border for the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, which were the Palestinian dedicated territories. And it would be around this time that Azam Pasha, who was the head of the Arab state in Transjordan, claimed, in less words than what he actually said, that if there was going to be a war between the Jews and the Arabs for the Levant, it would be a war of extermination. He claimed that the armies and people of the world would, would unite against the Jewish state and crush them, and that the way this war would go would be talked about the same way as the Mongol invasions were, as true wars of extermination for the rest of history. This led to the first Israel-Arab war being declared the day after Israel was established on May 15th, 1948. Five nations, Lebanon, Syria, the forces of the Saudis, Egypt, and Iraq, all declared war on the newly created Jewish state. They quickly invaded, but despite the brutal circumstances, Israel was able to come out successful in the war. Israel gained more land in the region, but land was partitioned. The Gaza Strip was given to Egypt, and Jordan now controlled West Bank and the eastern part of Jerusalem. The 1950s saw a huge amount of Jewish migration to Israel, but the economy was in shambles after a lot of fighting. This led to widespread poverty. But this ended in 1952 when Germany sent millions upon millions in reparations in, to Israel for the disgusting acts of the Holocaust. This, this led to the economy booming and changes occurring for the better. And it would be in 1967 that the Six-Day War would occur. It started when Egypt started to mobilize troops on the border of Israel in the south and Syria would start to mobilize in the north. With no hesitation, Israel saw this as a act of war and mobilized its troops with breakneck speed. It defeated the Egyptian army as well as the Syrians in just six days. Israel then took this as an act. Israel then reacted very aggressively and said no longer would they want to partition with the people who continue to challenge them. Israel took control of the Gaza Strip, the West Bank, the Golan Heights, and the Sinai Peninsula. That is the region that connects Egypt to the Arabian Peninsula. There was frustration, sadness, and shock across the Arab world. This manifested a few years later into the Munich Massacre of 1972. This is an extremely unique event, so we're going to go pretty deep on this. On September 5, 1972, a group of eight Palestinian terrorists affiliated with the Black September organization stormed the Olympic Village, where the Israeli athletes were staying for the Munich Olympics of that year. The terrorists managed to enter the Israeli team's quarter by scaling a fence and they gained access to the building they were in. They did this by stealing a key. During the initial attack, two members of the Israeli team were killed, and nine others were taken hostage by the terrorists. The terrorists demanded the release of over 200 Palestinians held in Israeli prisons, along with two German terrorists. This would be done in exchange for the hostages being set free. The German authorities engaged in negotiations with the terrorists, trying to buy time and find a solution to end the crisis peacefully. However, the situation quickly escalated, which led to a disastrous outcome. In a desperate attempt to rescue the hostages, a horribly planned rescue operation was executed from a nearby airbase on September 6th. During the rescue operation, a shootout ensued between the German police and the terrorists, and tragically, all nine Israeli hostages were killed and a German police officer. The Munich massacre shocked the world and brought international attention to the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. It also raised concerns about security measures at large-scale international events like the Olympic Games. In the aftermath of this assault, Israel launched Operation 
wrath of God. It was a covert campaign to track down and assassinate those involved in planning and carrying out the Munich massacre. Several Black September members and other individuals associated with the attack were targeted, dragged out of their homes, and executed by Israeli intelligence agents in various locations around the world. This operation also saw many bombing campaigns against the Palestinian Liberation Organization happen. Different Palestinian Liberation Organization buildings were across Palestine and Syria, and Israel was already starting to really establish its super strong military because it was very well funded by the West. And they used airstrikes, mortars, all sorts of great technology to do very horrible things and wipe some of these buildings off the face of the earth. And a year after this, the Israelis would face another horrible thing. This would be the Yom Kippur War. On the most holy day of Jewish belief, Yom Kippur, Egypt and Syria united their forces once again and invaded Israel in a surprise attack. Despite being shocked and being completely unprepared to fight on their holiest day, the Israelites mobilized their army and once again tasted victory against the United Arab forces. Eventually, peace was pursued between Israel and Egypt as Israel willingly gave up Sinai in exchange for peace guarantees that Egypt has been unable to break to this day. But there was not peace with Israel across the Arab world. And if you're counting thus far, Israel is pretty much up 3-0 in wars of self-defense because that is the truth. There is no insulting here. Whoever believes what, Israel was established and did not start a war, was invaded and fought to win, fought to survive. Three times now, one the day after, one a few years later, one many years later on their holiest day, the Israelite Jews defend themselves against invasions from foreign powers. Three and also. Then we saw the Coastal Road Massacre of 1978. This was when Palestinian militants hijacked a bus on the coastal highway of Israel and murdered its occupants. 38 Israeli civilians, including 13 children, were killed as a result of the attack, and 76 more were left injured. The Israelite reaction to this was getting involved in South Lebanon by bombing and attacking Palestinian bases there. Despite Israel getting some of and despite Israel getting some level of revenge here, tensions were still high nationwide. And this culminated in the first Intifada, which lasted from 1987 to 1993. They were uprisings of Palestinians against the rule of Israel in the West Bank and Gaza Strip, which were heavily Palestinian in population. These uprisings were ultimately to highlight the abuses of Israel to its Palestinian inhabitants in the region. This was eventually supported by the UN, who condemned the actions of Israel as over-aggressive uses of force. And from 1993 to 1995, the Oslo Accords The Oslo Accords occurred. Then from 1993 to 1995, the Oslo Accords were agreed upon. They gave Palestinians some autonomy and government control within the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. Israel's Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin was the one who agreed to the Oslo Accords. In 1995, he was assassinated by an Israelite extremist who saw partitioning any land with the Palestinians as an act against Judaism. Ariel Sharon was the Prime Minister of Israel who visited the Temple Mount, which is sacred to the Palestinians. This was seen as a deeply sacrilegious act and led right into the Second Intifada, which occurred from 2000 to 2005. Palestinians began to violently revolt and start riots nationwide. There were suicide bombers and bombings of all sorts everywhere. The Israelites reacted by, the, by using their extremely unfair military power as much as they could. And over the five-year period, thousands of deaths occurred on both sides, and so did endless human rights abuses. After all of this, Israel pulled out of the Gaza Strip and allowed Palestinians to take control over it, who established... And the Palestinians, of course, established their control there not long after. After all this, Israel pulled out of the Gaza Strip, and Palestinians moved in to establish their government there. 
Then the 2006 Lebanon war occurred because Lebanon was being used as a base to fire rockets at Israel. So Israel came in again with its great tools of war, fought aggressively, and ended up not really winning overall as Lebanon and Israel agreed to a truce and nothing comes from it. Tensions are still high, they still hate each other, and it's just terrible. It would be right around now that Hamas begins to rise. Hamas is an extremely nationalist and militant Palestinian organization. They took power in the Gaza Strip. This led to Israel employing tight restrictions in and out of the Gaza Strip in 2007. Palestinians began launching attacks into Israel from the Gaza Strip using rockets. The Israeli army rebuttaled with fearsome airstrikes, and this resulted the start of the Gaza War from 2008 to 2009. Israel used its superior technology and military equipment to wipe the Palestinians away. In extremely aggressive attacks, thousands upon thousands of Palestinians were killed in a war where only a handful of Israelis died. And the thing that must be acknowledged here is that hundreds upon hundreds of these dead Palestinians were civilians uninvolved in the war. 2014 became a very aggressive year very quickly when Hamas kidnapped and murdered three Israeli teenagers. In reaction, Israel started a witch hunt to find whoever was responsible. And this was their reasoning for impeding upon rights to privacy that people across the Gaza Strip had. And people were now seeing their homes broken into, strip searches, all sorts of things that were not consensual or not legal across the region. So Hamas and other Palestinians, in reaction to this, started shooting rockets once again at Israel. And this culminated into another war at the end of 2014. The war was fought for 50 days and resulted in the deaths of over 2,000 Palestinians, mostly civilians, and a truce between the two nations. And December 6, 2017, was a day of celebration for Israelites and a day of dread for the Palestinians. On this day, the United States officially declared its support and recognition of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. But despite the tensions that came from this, Israel did work very hard to pursue better relations with the Middle East. And that's definitely been what they've attempted to do these last few years, but it has not always gone that way. And we're going to get into recent history now before we get into the present. And we're going to talk about a few different things. We're going to bounce away from some of the super serious stuff for just a second here, because we do have the chance to do that. And that actually starts with the kibbutz. Kibbutzism was brought by Eastern European Jews and was based on principles of collective ownership, equality, and collectivism. This is a system that is in place still in Israel today. In a typical kibbutz, all property and means of production are collectively owned by the members, and there is no property. Decisions are meant to be made democratically through general assemblies or committees. Everyone has a role to play, and work is to be distributed according to abilities and needs. This system has worked for quite a while and has been the basis for a lot of Israel's ability to produce enough food for the nation while also earning fair wages. But under the new government policies, there is likely to be a lot of kibbutz becoming privatized, and this has created much conflict as people fear their job stability as well as economic quality of life will become lower than needed. And over the last few years, Israel has become a nation heavily divided. Tensions between Palestinians and Israelis have not cooled in decades. In the last few years, there have been murders, human rights abuses, and atrocities committed by both sides. Commonly, the Palestinians, usually Hamas, will commit terrorist acts and Israel retaliate with an abuse of its unmatched military power. It ends in thousands of innocent deaths on both sides and usually ends with Palestinian land being crumpled to dirt. Children, teenagers, and more have been targeted by religiously conservative members of both sides in the dual nations. All of these attacks, invasions, and terrorism acts have created great divide between the people of Israel and Palestine in a way that seems to many as unhealable. 
There is also another factor contributing to the daily clashes here, and that is Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and his policies around the Supreme Court. Benjamin Netanyahu has been a person of influence in the Israeli government for 30 years. He served as Prime Minister from 1996 to 1999 and was re-elected in 2009 and held the position until 2021. He began to face a lot of pushback nationwide for his tight grip on power, and from this he faced many accusations of corruption. The most notable case was known as Case 4000, where he was accused of granting regulatory benefits to the Bezek Telecommunications Company in exchange for positive media coverage from the company's news outlet, seen as a way to sway elections. He was briefly removed from power in 2021 when a coalition of opposition parties united to win an election against him. And then from there, Netanyahu became the opposition party leader and became prime minister once again in 2022. Since then, he has been undertaking many policies that will limit the power of the Supreme Court. This decision has led to widespread protests as well as conflict between different people in the nation. Some of the most Zionist Israelis support moves made by Benjamin because he is a religious conservative. Most others see his moves against the Supreme Court as anti-democratic and a heavy power grab. Benjamin Netanyahu has also directly caused Israel-Palestine relations to sour because his policies have continued to expand the settlement of Israelis in the occupied territories of Gaza and West Bank. This goes against the two-state solution because everyone who's younger wants to negotiate for something to do with West Bank and Gaza being given to the Palestinians and Israel having the rest of the area so that both can have land that is democratically organized. But... People like Netanyahu, who are continuously pushing this old head, ridiculous idea that it's all or nothing, are the reason that so much fighting is happening. And the reaction to these policies have been physically demonstrated by those that support and oppose them through very common riots and more. And with all that, that gets us to the present day, where Israel is considered a very highly developed nation with one of the strongest militaries in the world. It has access to some of the best technologies, ally negotiations, and all sorts of things in the world. Then, Palestine has a decently high HGI index, but has seen many medium records, but has seen many medium ratings in the last decade. Palestine is in a much more challenged place than Israel because of the struggle for autonomy since the many wars with Israel, and because Israel holds its massive imbalance of military power over the heads of the Palestinians day in and day out. And before I give my takeaway, kind of my final word on the conflict itself, the Israel-Palestine conflict is likely the most delicate one on earth. The complexity of it cannot be understated. Hebrew Israelites formed the land as we know it over 3,000 years ago. They proudly called it their home until the early days of the current era when they were pushed out by the Romans. Since then, Palestinians have planted their roots and grown great culture and history here for countless generations. Both peoples have great claim to this region as their homeland. The conflict today is pushed forward by the heavily traditionalist, old-head conservative members of both religions that refuse to let old habits die. There is no easy solution to this problem here, but the only way it ends is with expanded tolerance and understanding. All we can do is promote acceptance and be the change that this new generation needs to be. <sighs> that was a heavy one. Very heavy. Because as I speak... In this past day, in the time I've been doing this research, people have died for this cause on both sides. There is no doubt in my mind that in the past three, four days I've been researching this, 100% Palestinians have been killed over this, without a doubt. And it's heartbreaking. It's terrible. And even though it's on the other side of the world for me, it's real. It's very, very real. 
And that is why I make episodes like this, because people need to be aware. The truth sucks. The truth is very dark. And even though there isn't a definitive horrible bad guy here, at least not in my eyes, things are very tough on both sides. Extreme divide, polarization, and all that is what's keeping this conflict going. And if there is not, at some point, a change to this, we are going to see innocent lives lost day in and day out until the end of time within this nation. So all we can do is be well aware of what's going on if you are outside of the country and hope for the best. And if you are inside these two nations, be the change. Be the ones that change this. Be the ones that fix this. Be the ones that end this Zionism and this polarization and end the hatred. And with that, that gets us to the end where I was to leave it with a takeaway or mindset to kind of pull from the history. And with these two storied, storied nations, I say very simply, have perseverance. These two nations have fought for literally thousands of years against themselves, against great empires, against other nations for their faith, their freedom, and themselves to be free to do what they want. There has not been a lot of peace in this region. There has not been a lot of peace for Israel or Palestine. These two nations have seen children die, women die, men die every single day fighting for the cause they believe in, especially since 1948 when Israel was established. But that is not to take away from either of them the fact that no matter how much fighting, death, suffering, abuse, genocide has hit this land or the people abroad, they have persevered. They have persevered for their faith. They have persevered for their life. They have persevered for the love they feel for each other, the love they feel for their nation, the love they feel for their God, the love they feel for their life. And you can do the same. I'm not going to sit here and dilly-dally and say lovely, lovely things because we are in a very serious situation with this. But the truth is, if these people for thousands of years can go generation in and out, in and out, persevering through real hard times, bombs over your head, wars every night, riots, things that are actually dangerous to your life, then you, whatever your struggle is, whatever your big dream is, whatever thing you're moving towards or away from, all you need to do is persevere. And just know that the humans here are human beings just like you. They are just like you. They have different struggles. In my eyes, way harder struggles than what you're going through or what I will ever go through but they've persevered for thousands of years. So you and this one life you have, no matter if you are fighting against your mental issues, your family, abusers, anything in your life, or if you are on the other side, pursuing great things, pushing forward, trying really hard to break generational curses, whatever it is, you just need to look at a place like this where people have fought hard for thousands of years and realize that all you need to do is persevere in this one life you have through whatever struggle you have to become the person you're meant to be and end up where you want to be. That is all for me. This episode meant the world to me, and it's also because I've had my connection with Christianity and different faith throughout time, but it's also because no matter how you look at it, this is the most important history of the world because of the fact that it influences billions of lives every day. The origins and things that came from this country and the region literally influence billions religiously, billions every day. So it means the world to not only me, but it should mean the world to you. So 
Thank you so much for listening. This is a very long episode. And if you got through all of it, I respect you. I appreciate you. And I love you. So truly, I'm going to wrap it up. And I just want to say I'm so thankful you were all here. I'm so thankful I got to do this. So one more time, my name is Reese Garlinski. This is Young History. And that was Israel and Palestine. Peace be with you all. And I hope you're well.